No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody aboard to Talking Bass in PDX, the podcast. Thank you for joining me on Talking Bass in PDX. This is the Bass and Warm Water Forum where we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'll be your host. Now I have a very special guest this time, but before we get to them, let me give you a fall update. You can tell that fall is on the way to the Northwest, but wait, it's still warm and it is October. It's been an enjoyable month, and I hope that we have a little more of this weather, but definitely we do need the rain coming here pretty quick. We are in October, and that means it is time to go up the Columbia River to Boardman, Oregon for our annual fall trip. This gives a group of us a chance to slow down a bit and fish for bass, walleye, yellow perch, and maybe even a catfish now and then, although I must admit, all the beautiful channel catfish that we do catch up in the Boardman area, I put them back. They're beautiful fish, but uh, just not one of my favorites. This year, the fishing is different. As we got up to the Boardman area, of course, the first day was very windy, but it calmed down after that. The bass were in the places where they usually are. And I did see a really nice 18-inch smallmouth caught. And I also seen several 17-inch uh, smallmouth caught. And I even caught some myself that were down pretty deep. The walleye, on the other hand, were very deep. Water down as deep as 70 feet. And interestingly enough, they were a bit small. Most folks that were with us were putting them back because they were a bit too small Although I did see a few that were 14 to 16 inches long. And there were a few that were kept. Now, for fish tacos, I really like yellow perch. And up in the Boardman area, there's a really good area there to go yellow perch fishing. And there are some that are good size. But this year, they were a bit small. So to get the 12 fish that I wanted in the 10-inch range or bigger, we had to catch around 50 of them. Yeah, they, they catch very easy, but uh, you did have to follow them around and, and uh, find the bigger ones. I did like the fact that there were a number of fish caught, and that means that in coming years we will have more fish to catch because we did release all those small ones. We didn't keep them. And as I said, the weather started off very windy on the first day that we were there, but of the four days that we were there, the water calmed down, in fact, it got so calm on the last day that the that the bite kind of dropped off. But it was very, very relaxing. We had a great time this year. I'd like to thank the folks up at Boardman Campground. They did a great job as usual. And like I said, it was just a bit different this year. Well, I'd like to thank Peeler Custom Rods for helping us with the show. Let's hear a bit more about Peeler Custom Fishing Rods. The most important equipment you have when you are fishing is your rod and reel. If it's time to replace that old rod or upgrade it, let Peeler Fishing Rods build you the best so that you can catch your personal best. Brandon and his team make the process very easy. Start by visiting their website at peelerfishing.com. 
Check out the custom bass rods, freshwater rods. PFR can even make that custom salmon and steelhead rod that you're looking for. Next, click on the build form so that you can start building that custom rod. From custom grips, custom guides, and even custom thread wrap colors, don't forget PFR can personalize your new rod with custom decals. As you're looking through the rod collection, don't forget to click on Fish Bum Apparel. They have long sleeve and short sleeve tees along with great looking hoodies. As you're looking through their collection, don't forget the artwork is great. Don't wait to start building your custom rod today at PeelerFishing.com. Do you have an older rod that needs updating? Email Brandon and his team and they'll put new life into that old rod with new custom guides and new decals. And of course, all PFR custom rods come with a lifetime warranty. Best of all, you're buying local, right here in Oregon. For all the Talking Bass in PDX listeners, use code fish to catch at checkout for a 25% discount on your new custom rod. Please visit PeelerFishing.com and tell them that you heard about Peeler Fishing Rods on Talking Bass in PDX. I know Brandon and his team are looking forward to building you that one-of-a-kind custom fishing rod. Well, we're ready. Let's kick off the interview with Tom Hartshorn, the president of the Bass Federation here in Oregon. Well, Tom, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today. How have you been? I've been doing great, Don. Thank you for having me on board. We are going to cover fishing rods. We're going to talk about the Northwest Championship. We may even talk a little bit about hot weather fishing. But real quick, how did you get interested in bass fishing? Oh, my gosh. I was about... Actually, I have always loved fishing. I had an uncle that got me started into it when I was about three years old. That he would come over and pick me up, and you know, he just passed away three years ago. And uh, every time he'd come to get me, it was like the night before Christmas. I'd be so excited I couldn't sleep. Then probably about 35 years ago, 40 years ago, in Southern California when I lived down there, there's a lake called Castake Lake. Uh, I went up there and rented a boat, didn't own a bass boat at that time. And it was primarily a, a trout bass lake and crappie, some giant crappies. Um, caught a bass and been hooked ever since. Well, that is great. And that is uh, such a great memory to hang on to as you've continued to hone your skills. And now you're you're doing a lot of tournament fishing. And matter of fact, you're, you've been president of the Bass Federation uh, here in Oregon for the last couple of years, or has it been a little longer? Uh, I think the last three years, yes. That means that not only are you doing some tournament fishing, but you're also doing a lot of work behind the scenes, right? A little bit, yeah. I, I've got a really great crew, Gary Harrell. I could not uh, have a better guy in the back working Gary works his heart out. My God, he does a lot. People have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. But, yeah, there, there's a lot to it. Um, but you know what? It's for the community and for the bass community, and it, it's an awesome thing to do. Well, that's great, you know, and it's great to hear when you've got really good people in an organization because it just makes fishing more fun. 
And I think that's what we're really out to have, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and a lot of people don't understand a lot of times, like Gary, myself, our tournament directors, we all fish. And we typically give up at least a half hour of our fishing day to come in early, get things set up for the weigh-ins. And it, it just it amazes me that how how few people understand or even think about that aspect that, hey, we could be out there still competing and wait to the last minute to come in, but we typically don't. We we come in 25, 30 minutes before weigh-in and get things set up and started. Well, absolutely, because I'm sure that there are times when you're out there and it could – you could hit that last big bass that could put you in the in the uh, first place, and yet you're coming in to uh, to take care of business. So I hope folks mm-hmm. appreciate all the work that you're doing behind the scenes, along with your team. Oh yeah, and, and I think they do. I, uh, Oregon's got some great anglers. Um, I, obviously, I'd be remiss not to mention Jay Ellis, uh, Lane Olson who was out on the uh, tour. He came up through the ranks of the youth program. We have a great youth program for high school program. David Osborne runs the uh, high school program. His son, just uh, Josh Bowler, Brennan Osborne, both just got accepted to the college in Reading on the bass team. So, and that was through the youth program. Oh, absolutely. We have some really, really good anglers here in the Northwest. In addition to the anglers that I that I have met, you mentioned uh, uh, some of the youth. Um, you know, we have a really good fishery up here, too, and it's, I think it's a nice secret that uh, some of the big tours just don't bother to come up here because uh, we've got a couple of uh, places up on the Columbia River that are just dynamite. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, and I don't know how much of a secret it's going to be anymore in the last two years, or, well, I should say in the last three to four years, Columbia River has been getting a lot of mention in Bassmaster Magazine as far as one of the uh, top 100 fisheries in the country. Well, let's just hope that the plane prices stay high and that the folks just <laughs> continue going south. <laughs> uh, well. It, it would be nice to see the Bassmasters or a, a tour event come out here. I, I think it would do good for the community, uh, for the locals. Plus, you get some top-name guys that guys could volunteer, go out and meet these guys. and it, it, It's pretty exciting when that happens. Well, I, I will agree. I would like to see a big tour event. I just don't, I don't really want it to affect our fishing. But, you know, it would be pretty exciting to have some of those top names come up because when they're fishing in the other parts of the United States, they don't have a fishery like, like say, the Columbia River that they fish on, do they? I Honestly, most of the lakes you would be surprised that they fish on are huge bodies of water. St. Lawrence River, for example, or... Uh, Lake Erie, um, when you go to the smallmouth factories that they have back east, or monstrosity. Um, Those guys can run for two hours, one direction, before they even start their day of fishing. Okay, so they do have some long runs like what... like yeah. what you guys experience. Okay. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be kind of fun to 
turn them loose on the river and let them see what they could do out there because there's some great spots out there. Honestly, uh, watching some of these guys in the past that I've competed against them in the past, you'd be really amazed how good they actually are. Uh, you could sit in the boat and say, well, he's not doing anything different than what I do, but holy moly, they're catching fish and you're not. So. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know that. <laughs> when you watch them on, on TV, you know, I know a lot of things are hidden, but uh, oh, I sure. can tell that they're using a little bit different uh, setup, a little bit different lure, maybe a little bit different casting technique than what the rest mm-hmm. of us do. They, they're doing something we're not doing. I would agree. It's amazing to watch them. I learned so much the little bit that I did go out on the pro, just on the West Coast uh, fishing pro-ams and and on the pro side. I learned so much that was so valuable when I came back to just fishing in the local level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, I got to talk with uh, Rocky Ward one time. You may know who he is. (laughs) Oh, Uh, absolutely. Rocky and I are good friends. He fished the Wild West tournament. I got the time. Now he wouldn't come on the podcast for for that for the interview. I'm going to get him on for for stories. But there's a few techniques that he uses that are that he just he doesn't tell you everything. But boy, you can just tell he's he's refined what he's doing, and that's why and that's why they're a pro. You know, they they've honed yeah. their skills yeah. to a point that they're really good. And 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 Rocky. Uh, was a longtime partner with Jigs Ben, and you know Jigs fishes a lot of the pro pro events. Yeah, it it, it sounds like fun. Now, before we get uh, on to the Northwest Championship, I wanted to talk to you a little bit because we're, the weather now is really changing. I mean, fall, thank goodness, it's coming, but twenty twenty one, the the spring and summer were extremely warm. I mean, it was really hot. There were days that we had 108, 109 temperatures. And we had a few this year. There was a few days this year where it got over 100 here in the Northwest. But I just wanted to get your uh, take and your um, ways and techniques of how did you handle those hot days when you're out there fishing? Well, from a personal standpoint, you know, what I tend to do is the night before something like that, I, I see the temperatures are going to be extremely hot, which typically means you're going to pray to get a little bit of breeze or wind. Typically it's calm. So I'll take like Gatorade or whatever electrolyte type of drinks you like and take bottles of water and freeze them. And I always have ice in my boat anyway to keep my drinks cold. So when I put them in my ice chest in my boat, that stuff stays really cold, but I also freeze water for fish management as well to throw in the live wells to help keep the fish um, alive. But the main thing is <clears throat> keep yourself hydrated, wear the proper sun clothing. Um, you know, in today's world, you can buy these cooling things like uh, I wear a Huck shirt that's long-sleeved. I can dip that shirt in the water put it back on or just my sleeve and that'll cool me down for 25, 30, 40 minutes. And that'll keep me cool. Plus drinking the uh, frozen Gatorade as it starts defrosting, it turns into a wonderful slushy. So hydration is the key word for all of that. 
Well, and that, you know, that's so important. Keep yourself hydrated. But, you know, you brought up something else that I hadn't even considered because I just automatically do it, but that's clothing. Um, you know, I, I do wear a lot of sunscreen. Um, when I was young, like most like most kids of the 60s and 70s, um, I didn't put on sunscreen. So, you know, I've got some some patches of skin that I have to really be careful of. But you know, nowadays it's uh, it's imperative that we that we keep covered up. Good hat, you know, sunglasses, uh, maybe even a face covering. So uh, all that stuff's really really important. Now, does it change your technique of fishing though when it's that hot? You know, honestly, the fish will adapt to the water temp. Uh, they may be a little more sluggish when it's that hot, or more aggressive. It, it, fishing is a a weird thing because every time you go out you've got to adapt to the fish. They're not adapting to you. So um, it, that's such a hard question for me to answer because I just go out and I fish for the fish. So I I pay attention to the elements, but usually say it's 110 degrees out, the water temperature may still only be 65. Um, that doesn't really change the fish's attitude because, they don't know how hot it is above that water level. So I don't know if it really affects them that much. I, I suppose there would be a lot of arguments both ways on that. Well, that's a key element, though. When you really think about bass, you know, they're looking for basically three things. You know, they're looking for comfort, <laughs> they're looking for food, and they're looking for safety. So if they're in a yeah. comfortable spot and and you present a bait that comes by that looks uh, – um, you know, like a meal to them, well, then I'm sure they're going to go after it. So, you know, that that's what well, you got to key in on. One thing I tell people all the time, and I live by this, uh, a predator is a predator is a predator. They're, they're opportunistic. So if you have a bait go flying by a bass and he's thinking remotely that he's hungry, he's going to pounce on it. And it, it's the presentation. Um you know, especially if you take them by surprise. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's very good. A predator is a predator. They, if they see something they want, they're going to go get it. So that's exactly absolutely. Right. Now, yeah. uh, you're getting ready. In fact, you're packing up to go as as we speak to the Northwest Bass Championship uh, out at Umatilla. Is that right? Yes, it, it launches Saturday morning. At first safe flight, which they're talking around 6.15, 6.30, and we'll be blasting off out of Umatilla. And Craig, Robin, and I are fishing for a championship. They have a Vexus uh, 189 fully rigged as the top prize for winning. Wow, that is a great prize. That's uh, well worth fishing for. Now, you were telling me earlier, before we got onto the recording, that you had lined up a number of rods. Now, tell me a little bit about about the the number of rods, the types, um, what you're going to be prepared for when you head up there. Well, I guess 17 rods tied up and ready to go. Um, pretty much different lures on most of them. Uh, a couple of them, I, I do have a tendency. I love a jig. I almost everybody knows so. I do out of that 17, three of them are jig rods. So they're all three tied up with a different jig on them. Just in case I get there and we get into a, a wolf pack or something and I break off, 
I just got another rod right there ready to go without having to retie. A couple of crankbait rods, a topwater rod, uh, two drop shot rods, two swim bait rods, a couple of fatty Z rods that I, I love that bait. Um, a couple of rods to be able to throw soft jerk baits with and jerk baits. Um, so I pretty well have the gamut covered without having to retie a bunch of different rods. And obviously most of them have different actions. And for folks that are familiar with that area up there, now I don't want to give away any of your spots because that's that's not fair, but do you like to fish closer to the dam or do you like to head downriver? Well, up in that area, it's just about, I would say, a lot of the fields will probably head towards the Boardman area, um, fishing anywhere from probably Aragon to maybe just a little bit uh, downriver from Crow Butte, which that's about a 15-mile area in that in that distance. It's probably at least a good 15, 20-mile stretch of river. So that's a lot of water. That's, that's a lot of water. Now, how many... How many boats and anglers are you expecting up there? You know, I, honestly, I don't know that number. I, I would think on the championship, I'm going to guess 50 or so, maybe more. I'm, I'm not real positive. Okay. I, I didn't have a good feel for how many, how many people were, were coming. Do you, need, do you think anybody will go further upriver, go into the locks and, and go up above uh, the dam? Well, he's got lock times that are 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. coming back, which I really like that idea, that specific lock times. Um, it's hard to say. There, there might be some of the Washington, because this is between Oregon and Washington, so you have the anglers coming out of Washington. There might be a bunch of guys that are very comfortable uh, locking up and running way up river from the locks, which... I know in years past, I've fished pro-ams out of Umatilla, where some guys ran all the way up to the reach out of there, which is up by Hanford. So, well, that's quite a little run there, isn't it? Yeah, about two hours, hour and 45 yeah. minutes, somewhere in there. All I say when you do that, well, you better make sure your fish are there. Yes, exactly. Now, we've had a pretty warm summer, and now fall is it seemed like this last week or two, temperatures have really fallen into the the nice room temperatures that I like. How, does that affect the fishing up in that area? Honestly, it makes them jump a lot better. Um, anytime you come out of the summer into the fall transition, those fish fatten up. Oh, my gosh, they start chomping. And that's when a lot of times you'll see through the summer months, a really good bag is usually 15, 16, 17 pounds. Those are really good bags in the summer. When you start transitioning fall, you start seeing 18, 19 pound bags. Once in a while, you start seeing them a little bit later in the fall, you'll see them climb into the 20s. And that, to me, is the most exciting time of the year. You know, early oh. spring... And in the fall are my two favorites. Oh, absolutely. I love the fall <laughs> when the fish are getting ready for, for winter. Boy, they, uh, they, they can become uh, quite the predators then. And I think everybody who's fished the Columbia River, and if you haven't, you'll experience this someday, but the wind can come up up there, and it can be uh, cool. 
very, very trying. How do you deal with that wind? Does your boat handle wind very well? You know, I think that's the biggest surprise to most people. They look at a bass boat and think that thing cannot handle rough water. If you learn to drive in rough water, these bass boats are incredible in rough water. But the, the key is learning to drive them. Don't try to overdrive it. Don't don't underdrive it. I, I think a, a guy once told me, Jim Brinkerhoff, which I dearly love the man, um, one of the greats around here, um, was, I asked him about running in rough water, and he just simplified it for me. He said, just find that comfortable spot and just run that run your comfort zone. Don't try to overdo your comfort zone. And that was the best advice I'd ever got um, running rough water. Find that comfort zone, stay within it, and do what's comfortable for you, and don't overdo yourself and don't try to force it. Well, I think, too, because most bass boats are in excess of 20 feet. There's some that are a little shorter, but most of them right. are in that, that range. Uh, I really think... Yeah, I think that really helps you on top of the water. I have a shorter boat than that, not a bass boat, but a shorter all-species boat, and I can tell you it does not like rough water. It, it will work, but it will work you to death. So I believe that... Well, I, I think all of us, when it gets really rough, and we're talking four or five-foot swells, six-foot swells, you're going to get waves that are going to soak your carpet. My key is to never take a wave so bad that I fill my cockpit up. So I, I'm more cautious than other people in it. And obviously age has a lot to do with it. I just don't want to be beat up the next day. But I take my time when it gets really rough and look look way ahead. Um, I don't try to never run in the middle of the river. Uh, always run as tight to shore as you can possibly run. And, you know, keep sharp eye on your electronics. And then if you got to come cut across the river, find a trough and jump in a trough, and you're going to drive your heart out. But stay in that stay in trough, and you'll get across the river a lot easier. Well, that's some really good advice. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's uh, navigating uh, during the wind. It, it's going to happen, so uh, you might as well learn how to do it. You know, as long as we're talking about fishing, though, um, do you like spring fishing or fall fishing better? Ooh, boy. You know, early spring, you don't get the numbers that you do in the fall, but typically the weights are much better. So, you know, if I'm just fishing for five really good fish, I would probably say spring. In the fall, you know, you get those days, um, where you catch a lot of three-pound-plus fish. And those days are just like godsends. We don't get many of them, and you're more likely to get them in the fall than you are in the uh, spring. So I I just absolutely love it when you get into those bigger bigger fish, better quality fish, and just catch them really nice, solid fish to I would probably say fall when it comes to just sheer numbers of good sized fish. Well, that's you know that's always uh, it's always an interesting answer because I, it's about fifty fifty when I'm talking with folks, you know, as to what they like. Uh, myself, um, 
because I get cabin fever so bad, although you might get out in January and February a little bit. You know, March and April is when the water starts to warm up a little bit, and I can't wait to go anywhere to go fishing. So uh, I'm more of a spring person because I want out of the house by that period of time. Yeah, I, I like getting out when the water temps hit over 45 degrees. Um, to me, 45 has always been my key number for uh, reactionary fish, uh, just fish in general. They start moving very uh, heavily when the water temps hit those that degree. I know a lot of people will fish in the high 30s, low 40s, but my magic number is always 45 degrees and warmer. Yep, absolutely. I wrote an article, uh, oh, it's been several years ago now, uh, about winter fish wintering. And, you know, what do they do all winter long? Do they just sit around and shiver all winter or where do they go? But, you know, their metabolism slows down and and they can just, you know, kind of survive through it. But the minute that water temperature changes to about 45, mm-hmm. that's the magic number. Um, yeah. Their metabolism starts to come back. Their hunger sensation comes back, and here we are. They're they're ready to bite. So that's uh, it was it was kind of an interesting thing that I did. I talked to some biologists because uh, I wanted to understand what do fish do when it's really really cold. You know where do they go and hang out and that kind of thing. So it was kind of fun. Now when we're talking about river fishing, I know you do a lot of of the Columbia River, but there are a lot of freshwater lakes up and down the coast of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Which of the lakes do you like? You know, honestly, I'm more of a guy that likes Silkus better than 10 Mile because my nemesis is dock fishing. If there's a super weak point in my fishing game, it's fishing docks. I'm just not a big fan of them. Um, but 10 Mile and Silkus. Boy, they're really great fisheries. Um, You know, the Northwest is really blessed with some great fisheries. Um, I'd probably be remiss not to mention some of the lakes in Washington. Potholes uh, is a fabulous fishery. Uh, Lake Roosevelt, uh, Banks Lake. um, But here for Oregon, I would say 10 Mile, Silkus are fantastic fisheries. Cottage Grove, you know, if you can get in there and Hit them right. Boy, that's a fantastic fishery. Uh, Green Peter's starting to turn into a really great fishery now. So we're we're pretty blessed here in the Northwest with some really good lakes. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I didn't uh, I didn't want to leave out Washington. You know, I, I live in Oregon. You happen to live in, in Washington, so didn't want to leave those out. But uh, you're right, uh, potholes, uh, and, uh, and I hear Banks Lake is, is really good up there. Um, I have not fished that particular one, but yeah, there's there's a lot of nice lot of nice bass water around here. When you talk about Silkus, you brought up Jay Yellis, I think earlier in the conversation, and uh, I was I was having a conversation with Jay one day, and he and he loves Silkus. He was telling me all the places to go, and just a real quick story. I took my boat down there, and there was a group of us there, and we. Um, we're out for not more than 10 minutes before I hit a big tree stump and, and bend a prop all up. So I was, uh, and so, and so, uh, 
Sokus is my nemesis because I have to be really careful with the with those tree stumps. But yeah, Booth Arm, you got to stay on the right side as you're going up and just idle up through there. Yeah, miss that, that part. Yeah, um, yeah, that's probably the only really dangerous area of Sokus is the Booth Arm when you come in between the island there. I, I guess that many many years ago. There, it's more cut-off pilings that are under the water. So, have somebody told me they repaired ships in there at one time. I don't know the true stories of what, why they're there. I, I could just go by what I was set was told. I never researched it. I just know I don't run in the middle going in the booth. Yeah, uh, you know what? You're right. There may be instead of. Uh trees down there you're right there may be some pylons down there uh i mean whatever i I mean i was going very very slow uh i happened to be idling when when it happened i was turning around actually and um i just it felt like it it, it was a hard hit and then i stopped and pulled the pull the engine up and looked and went oh boy uh so we lit back into uh back to the dock and i put the spare on and we went back out so but there's just some there's some tremendous largemouth in there. Um, if you yeah. if you know where to go. In in the last several years with TVF being there at our weigh-ins, well, last year is a good example of silk coos. We had the silk coos open. I think the first weekend of April uh, may have been the second. Um, we had five bags over twenty pounds. Weighing in. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was incredible. And even though I said it was my favorite lake, I ended up taking a zero for that lake for that weekend. So I really struggled that weekend. But nonetheless, it was impressive, the amount of good fish that were caught in there. And 10 miles been the same way. 10-mile... our TBF tournament, which is a team tournament, but we came in fifth or sixth with uh, 20 pounds, and it, it's incredible. I think the year before at 10 Mile, um, I, I think uh, we had the top nine teams had 19 pounds. Yeah, so. 10 Mile. 10 Mile is just an incredible lake. It um, yeah. it holds so many large bass. Um, and, and you're right. Totally yeah, and the, and the docks are hard to fish. I mean, I have um, I've caught my personal best down at Ten Mile, and it was mm-hmm. near a dock, but not under the dock. It was we we were sitting in between a log and the dock, and I actually threw to the back of the log and and caught one. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's an unusual Sweet. lake. Yeah, it and it you know you can use so many different. Uh, techniques there at 10 mile. I'm getting better and better at 10 mile, but the fishery is absolutely wonderful, especially for the amount of pressure it gets. Those fish seem to recover pretty quickly. And and for those that want to be the naysayers, just look at Clear Lake in California. You know, 50 to 100 boat tournaments almost every single weekend and that lake still produces big, big, giant bass. Yeah, and we. It's not particularly a big lake. 
Right. No, t- 10 miles, not particularly big, but, uh, um, <laughs> you know, we can – we could be down there on just a pleasure trip, and you can have a tournament going on, and and you both you mm-hmm. both can fit in the water. You know, uh, there's there's plenty of places to okay. go. You want to be courteous to to tournament fishermen, you know, so, because they're they're there trying to do a little different thing than us just playing around. But uh, certainly, there's room for everybody down there, so it's it's really really great. Oh, absolutely, it 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 really is a great lake. Um, all the coastal lakes, um, you know. I, if you don't mind, I'll put a little plug. When I go to Ken Mile, uh, I stay at Winchester Bay Inn. And for those people that are uh, TBF members, Winchester Bay Inn will give you a, a 10% discount on the room rates there. And it's a really great place to stay if you're at Ten Mile or even if you're going to Silk Coos because it's kind of 20, 20 minutes from there to Silk Coos. Tackenich is like about 10 or 15 minutes, 15 minutes to Tackenich, and, you know, you're eight or nine minutes to uh, 10 miles. So you got three really good Oregon lakes within a 20-minute drive of that motel, and it sits in Winchester Bay, and it's really nice back there. It's quiet, a lot of places to eat. you got the bay right there, so... Oh, that's perfect. Well, thanks for that recommendation, and... Uh, folks, if you need a place to stay, I would uh, check out Winpest, Winchester Bay Inn. Um, that is one really unique thing about the coast over there is that you can fish three or four different lakes within less than an hour of each other. Absolutely. It, yeah. And that's kind of cool about it. Cause you can stay in one place, like I just said, Winchester Bay Inn. You're 20, 25 minutes tops away from Silkus. Uh, probably 15 minutes tops to Tackenich. And I think I timed it like eight minutes to the launch ramp there, to county ramp uh, at 10 miles. Wow. Not to mention all the other lakes in between, Mercer, uh, Eel Lake. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of places to, to uh, fish over there. Now, we were talking a little bit earlier about the number of rods that you have rigged up ready to go for this weekend. <laughs> and, you know, I can imagine that those are all strapped down on the floor of the boat. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, you, you're an ambassador for Edge Rod. So let's talk about that a little bit. But then let's talk about rod care and how folks should be taking care of, of uh, high-end bass rods. Well, one thing you want to make sure is you use rod sleeves on them when you're in your rod lockers. And typically, like this weekend, I'll probably pull out six rods to start with and strap them to the front deck, pull the sleeves off. But one thing that you really want to be careful of is not hitting the rod on something, not stepping on one of the rods or your partner stepping on one of the rods. Because on these high-end rods like that, that, you know, obviously the higher modulus graphite, the uh, easier they are to bruise, and they become a little more brittle at that point. So if you do step on one of them rods or hit it on something, you're going to create a bruise in that graphite. And what that will do is eventually, could be on a cast, could be on a hook set, could be on a snag, eventually that rod's going to break right there where that bruise was. It's going to snap. 
So always be conscientious of that. Um, you know, you'll see the top pros. They got 20 rods on the front deck that, you know, for those of us that still buy and a lot of people pay for the rods, you got a, a four or $500 rod on your front deck. Take good care of it. Just be conscientious. Don't let people step on it because they'll bruise and they're probably going to break at some point in time. They may not break that day. It may be a month, two months, maybe six months. But just be careful of that and be conscientious of that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, me personally, I love my edge rods. I could not ever see myself using anybody else's rods ever because I won – the Edge family is a great family to be associated with. I mean, come on. Gary Loomis himself designs these things and makes them. So you can't get better than that. He, he's an icon in the uh, rod building industry. And these rods are so sensitive, as you and I had spoke earlier, uh, about feeling that slight little tick on the initial tick that most people don't even feel. And that's the difference between a lot of times winning or being in the top five than being in the middle of the pack, right? And that makes a big difference, especially in this tournament fishing game. Well, absolutely. I mean, having having really good equipment makes a big difference. If <laughs> folks want to get a hold of an edge rod, where would they get it? Well, right now they are working – on opening up a store up in Woodland where they can, the public can go in and buy their rods right off the shelf. I, I don't have a date on the store opening, but Alex up there is in the process. If not, go to Edge's website, um, edgerods.com, and you can log on to that. And what there's several different types of rods in there on the website. My, my favorite is the Black Widow series, but the Delta series is right there. If you can't, you know, depend on your pocketbook, uh, the Delta series is their um, lowest price and their factory direct price is uh, 179 for most of the Delta rods, there's a few that are a little bit higher than that. But for the most part, they're around 159 to 179 on the Delta rod series, which is a really good rod. But then you have the uh, Black Widow series. They run 379 factory direct. Um, and, and these rods retail, even the Delta would be over $300 retail. Um, and the uh, Black Widows would be $575 retail for MSRP. So they're really a good buy. And one of the newest series, well, it's been out for a couple of years now, is the EFX Pros, and they run about 275 Retail, they'd be around 450 So, And there's a new, new rod coming out. It, it's a three-ounce blank, believe it or not. <clears throat> so... And have you fished with that three ounce blank yet? Or I mean, once they built it, I, I haven't even held the rod yet. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting to go up there. I'm meeting with uh, Edge Rods next week sometime, and hopefully uh, Alex and I will go out and fish for half of the day to 
if he's got the time. I'd love that, but no, I have not. I, I'm hoping to, um, but still, my favorite ride by far is the uh, Black Widow. And I did leave one, one out the first strike series, which is a great rod. It's, um, and they run 245 for the first strike series. And they would retail out at 450. So great rods. Sensitivity is, gosh, I, I was starting to tell you a story yesterday when we had a brief conversation of Wyatt Mann. Um, he, uh, I told him, said, you know, when I feel that initial tick, I just swing and set the hook. And he remembered me saying that, and he had just bought his edge rod. He had made a cast up on the Columbia, and he caught his personal best smallmouth. Remembering, I said, when you feel that initial tick, swing. And he did that, and he got his um, personal best smallmouth doing that. Yeah, it's amazing how how small that first bite may feel and you won't know what size fish has, mm-hmm. has pulled that bait in. But, uh, like you said, after that first tick, uh, you better swing. Don't, don't just tighten the line up or it'll, you, you will lose that fish. Yeah. A lot of times that you feel that second tick and your swing is going, Oh, I just swung on air. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty, uh, Sometimes I get a little Iconelli on myself when I do something like that. And, you know, I talked about rod care, and I've been known to drop my rods after I do something silly like that. So not the smartest move on these these type of rods. So, but any, any high-end rod, whether it's an Edge Rod, uh, St. Croix, Kessler, um, Alpha Angler, you, you got to take the best of care of them rods because they'll bruise. Yeah, that that's interesting. You know, that's just like the guys that that go out and buy high end uh, motorcycle helmets. You know, but if that if that helmet gets dropped or or hits the bar, hits the handlebar or something like that, it's got that bruise, and that's uh, technically you shouldn't use that helmet anymore. So I'm sure you can continue using a rod, but like you said, you know, the the chance of the thing breaking or are pretty good. Well, yeah. And well, it's not it, a manufacturer's default at that point. It, it's just somebody stepped on it. Yeah. So you know, I, I mean, rods will, you know, every once in a while, we've probably all had it. Got a brand new rod, first out, second out, you set on a fish, and it breaks up by the tip. Uh, typically, that, that might be a manufacturer's issue, but it, that happens pretty rare. Yeah, you, you don't see it too often, but I'm sure it can. So if you want, so if you want to see the Edge Rod line, go to edgerods.com and, uh-huh, and right. take and, a look at them. Sometimes you can call them, and if you need the rod right away, they may have it in stock in the factory, and you can drive up there to Woodland and pick the rod up right at the factory. Well, excellent. I can't wait to see the store open. I I want to go up just to see it. I, I love just looking at the rods. So that'll be that'll be great fun once that gets up gets going. Yeah, and and I don't know if they will go back to this, but you know, before the pandemic, um, they were allowing factory tours where you could go up there and see how these rods are built and how they're put together. 
which is a pretty amazing thing to do, is to see how they were built, how they were manufactured, and the machinery going into the tapering and how all that is done, and the baking and sanding. It's pretty impressive. Well, let's hope that comes back because there is um, nothing more fun than going through a factory tour, especially rod making. It is fascinating. Oh, yes, absolutely. I I have learned so much since I've been an ambassador for Edge Rods on all the parts that it, it really gives you a a really great sense of knowing what to do with your equipment a little bit better and a better understanding of everything going into it. And, you know, it, it just, and for me, you know, taking the factory tour a couple of times, I, it, it brings me into the Edge family a little bit more, which there's some really great people up there at Edge. Well, that's great. And, you know, I this podcast reaches out, touches a lot of folks. Sometimes they're newer bass fishermen or bass anglers, I should say. And one of the things that I try to always tell people is buy the best that you can afford. And if you can yeah. get in on a uh, even an entry-level high-end rod, you're going to have so much more success. And that's really what you want to have when you're out there fishing. You know, Don, that's such an important factor. I, I mean, I'm very competitive. always have been in everything I do, whether it be from when I used to golf. wasn't a great golfer, but, you know, uh, the high 80s, low 90s score. But, you know, taking the time to learn, taking the time to get the right equipment and the right fit for you, um, is always important. Uh, back when I was a young kid playing baseball, you know, getting that right glove, the right fit, breaking it in properly, doing all the the small little details a lot of people seem to overlook all the time. You know, you go out and buy something and think you're going to get right into it and be the best. Well, gosh, anybody can go buy a Snoopy rod and probably catch a fish on it, no doubt in my mind. But you're not going to win tournaments doing that. Um, you, you've really got to put the time in and at least get the equipment, whether it's, you know, high-end rod companies and you get their entry-level rods <clears throat> and same with reels. You know, get the better reels so you don't have a reel blow up on you. I couldn't think of anything more disastrous than having a fish blow your reel up while you're fighting it. And so, you know, your equipment is very, very important. Well, yeah, that's great information and great to 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 know. Well, I think that we have um, that we've talked a lot about fishing today and rods and things of that nature. And I'd <laughs> like to thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you, and you know, for people in 2023, uh, I hope you come out and fish with us in TVF Oregon. Uh, the Bass Federation of Oregon, it's a great organization. And, you know, you have opportunities to advance through the grassroots. The grassroots uh, fishing, it's a team format. Um, We have two circuits right now, a coastal circuit and a uh, um, river circuit. I'll I'll have the schedule out for 2023 here pretty shortly. Um, One other thing is, 
for the bass anglers that are listening to the podcast, um, we TBF Oregon has one more major event this year. We'll be out of Boardman. I believe it's the 29th of October. Um, we'll be out of Boardman. Um, yes, the 29th of October. It's a fun event. It's a two-fish event, $200 entry fee. Um, Boardman, if people know, late October. God, you can go out there. Last year it took uh, just shy of nine pounds to win it for two fish, which is a great average. That's a four-and-a-half-pound average. And I think the top six teams pretty much had a four-and-a-quarter-pound average. So it's a... It's a blast. Hopefully we can get people out. We're limited to the top 24, so if you want to get in on this event, get your entry fee in. Go to um, tbforegon.org. Pull down the uh, uh, flyer there, um, entry form, and send in the entry, or call us and let us know that you're going to fish for sure, and we'll get you on a list. Well, perfect. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Don. I appreciate everything you do. And I, I know we've been trying to do this for, what, a couple of years now? Yes. <laughs> so, um, anytime I, I'm available, hey, you know, this will be a lot of fun. So. And there he goes. I'd like to thank Tom for his time. You know, we've, we have talked about this interview, he and I, several times, and we got busy over the year. Uh, or so that we're trying to put this together. And I know he's a very busy guy, but I'd really like to thank him for coming on the show, sharing his knowledge with us. And certainly as we get a little more time, I'd like to dig a little deeper into his knowledge and get a few more tips and tricks about bass fishing. And I'd like to thank Tom for coming on. And again, I'd like to thank Brandon Peeler of Peeler Custom Fishing Rods for helping us with the show. Brandon's a great partner. Uh, by the way, the custom rod that he built for me is very, very nice. It is a finesse rod, and I had a great time with it up at Boardman. It was a wonderful uh, time. Well, you know, I'd like to ha have everybody help us grow by telling your friends about the podcast that we can be heard on Spotify, Anchor FM, iTunes, iHeart, uh, and you can even just Google the show, Talking Bass in PDX, and it will come up right on, on Google. So if you enjoy the show, pass it along to your friends, share it, let them know that we're out here talking to some really, really nice people, and uh, it's... It's just nice to sit back once in a while and just talk about fishing. Well, for show ideas, feedback, send me an email at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. It's down in the notes if you, uh, if you miss it. If you have any questions for, about Tom's uh, information that he passed on, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to pass it on to him. I'd like to thank everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the Batcast. Mm -hmm.